We definitely know that all animals have language. They talk to each other, they understand each other, and they have interesting ways of communicating that only recently have we figured out, even in part, because rhinos use a breath language. Fish use luminescence. Squid can actually send different messages, one on one side of their body and one on the other side of their body with color, and light and patterns. So they can ward off an enemy on one side by looking very fierce. And on the other side, they can be greeting a friend. So we do know cows have facial expressions that are so subtle, you can't really notice them. And that cats and horses use their ears and their tails and their whiskers and so on. But animals communicate with sounds too. We know that elephants rumble and they purr and they almost growl, but they do it subsonically under the ground. And you need instrumentation to capture that sound. Humans can't really get the nuance of it. And it's not just sound. It's that a mile away, another herd of elephants hears that. And they don't just think, oh, there's a herd over there making a noise. They know that that means there are people with guns threatening our children, or we have found water. Come over here and enjoy it. I was very lucky 21 years ago that Kofi Annan, who was then the Secretary General of the UN, asked me to be his advisor and to advise him specifically on what were called the Millennium Development Goals. These were the objectives that the UN nations adopted in September 2000 to fight poverty and to improve health and education. And the Sustainable Development Goals are the successor goals to the Millennium Development Goals. The SDGs were adopted in 2015. I like the goals not only because of what they stand for, but because the whole world agreed on them. I like the idea that the world has agreed on something that we don't agree on very much. If I had to choose one, it is SDG number four. The SDG four is that all kids should be in school, that everybody should get an education. If we're just badly educated, we're not gonna make it on this planet. Let's empower young people so that they know the future. They know the world that they're going to be leading soon they can do something about it. In fact, specifically Target 4.7, which says that everybody should learn about sustainable development. Everybody should learn about global citizenship. Everybody should learn tolerance for other people's cultures. First of all, I want to say that each individual action just makes a big difference. It all adds up. And for people to understand that when you act for climate action or for climate justice, you are connected to millions of people around the world. The way people can get involved are multiple, and it really depends on what you would like to do. It could be on the local level where, you know, you're really sick of sitting in traffic and having massive pollution around you. So you want to work to have a mobility system that has bike transport. When you get in touch with your city urban transport minister and says, 
put your money into public transport, not into more roads. It could be on the national level where you know your government is going into this Paris meeting is going to be needing to decide how much more they're going to commit to. So you could get in touch and write to your head of state, even to your minister of the environment or transport or energy and tell your story about why you care and why it's so important for them to take leadership. Or it could just be a discussion at your dining table, right? With your cousin or your grandparent or your mother or your father who don't really understand the climate emergency and that you step into that and you have the courage to say, you know, this is really important for me and you open up that conversation. Those are all acts of courage and they are all very important. Humans have been partnering with fungi for an unknowably long time, no doubt for longer than we've been humans, in fact, whether as foods, eating mushrooms, as medicines, dosing ourselves with molds, other mushrooms that might help parasites or other types of infection, using mushrooms as tinder or a way to carry a spark, this very important thing that humans needed to do for a very long time, and as agents of fermentation, as in yeasts creating alcohol. So humans have partnered with fungi to solve all sorts of problems. And so fungi have found themselves enveloped within human societies and cultures for a long time. Lots of these very venerable relationships that humans have with fungi that are becoming modernized, whether that be antibiotic discovery or other fungal medicinal properties. But there are also some interesting new situations that humans are finding themselves in. And some of these new situations might be very helpful for us as we adapt to life on a damaged planet. So more and more important are the invisible quality cycles of this immaterial world, cultural values, sharing and caring, responsibility, even liability by manufacturers of products and materials for what they are doing. Because we have to get away from this liability, legacy waste of the Anthropocene. Now the future, I hope, will see nature and man living in synergy, or otherwise mankind may have a big problem. And synergy means that in the future, we need intelligent solutions. That means we need circular sciences, we need circular energy, we need circular chemistry, circular metallurgy, so that we really close the value that the loops, the material and object loops, and we have to make what we have, we have to make it last. Even as we move to advanced technology, there's still this problem that 80% of the world's energy today is coming from fossil fuels, from oil, gas, and coal. So what do you do in the meantime? Because every molecule we put into the atmosphere of carbon is going to be around for another 50, 100, several hundred years. The warming impact will be with us. So turning down the spigot, so to speak, really quickly is also important. The long range is important, but what do we do in the meantime? while we're still very fossil fuel dependent. So eliminating methane is one big thing we can do. It's an easy lift relative to everything else. So let's just do it. And then capturing as much carbon as we can while we're developing the renewable strategies. In the meantime, let's take the industrial facilities that are the big emitters, the steel plants, the cement plants, plastics plants. Let's put some carbon capture on the back end where we can. It's not cheap, but it is doable and it's doable fairly quickly. It's a hard thing for people to accept that you have to be doing some damage control even as you're working on the long-term solutions. But I'm afraid that it's a complex and big problem. So we have to think of it as first aid before you do the surgery. So I'm helping to spearhead an initiative for the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, working together with UNESCO 
the UN Education, Science, and Cultural Organization, with the Ban Ki-moon Center, and with Pope Francis and the Vatican on an initiative for Target 4.7, that everybody should learn sustainable development. I'd like students in every city in the country, in every village, to work on how their own city can be sustainable, their own village, and go meet with the mayor. This is what should be done. Because the truth of the matter is, so many adults are completely irresponsible, or they went through school without learning these things. And so the young people will know better. We need young people who are well-trained, who are well-educated, ready to take on leadership so that we can actually solve 21st century problems and not use 20th century mindsets. It starts with different levels. It starts with how you react to when you read something else. It starts with each of us personally and how we behave and how we act in social media and educating ourselves in misinformation and disinformation tactics to be able to see them and not be part of that hyper reactionary movement where everything is like ah, a disaster or we react at everything or we feel like offended by everything. So I think, and this is like the same that it has been forever. There are a lot of really good tooling that we can still use. Your generation has been so good at using tooling to hack and troll governments and politicians. And I don't mean all. I mean, right? Talk about hack the system. Like You are like the new anonymous, and I love that. We're the ideal example of capitalism, where free markets decide who the winners are and who the losers are. But in fact, our economic history is one that's very different than that. Our economic history is one, especially in the last 75 years, where certain industries have gained enough political influence to be able to get access to a lot of taxpayer funding and subsidies that most taxpayers were not aware of. And that subsidy system propped up those businesses and provided tremendous profits for the management teams and the shareholders of those companies. But it was done to the detriment of our environment, our society, and effectively the competitiveness of our economy. The best example of that is the fossil fuel industry. The first thing is try to make sure that American citizens understand how costly waste is and that they are in fact paying for it. kind of asking ourselves, what about if we wrote about what we loved that's here on this planet? What if we start from a place of celebrating what we have in abundance rather than our lack? And maybe, just maybe, we will want to fight for that abundance. We'll want to fight for what's already here and not be lamenting. I'm not saying at all to keep our head in the sand about climate change and all, but maybe there's people, because I know it activates me, to want to get to work to save the things that we love rather than want to get to work because someone has scared me and has put fear in me. Oh, I can fix this patch of forest that our local community is thinking about cutting down to make a new bank or something. And in that forest, there's a bunch of painted buntings or uh, birds or a family of scarlet tanagers. Then I can raise awareness. And maybe, just maybe, when people read about that, they'll realize, oh, they rely on these grubs or these worms that are also there, that we're all connected. That'll affect eventually like, what we eat. So that will activate people to like, hey, I don't want this food supply to be ended. Let's save this little patch of forest. Amazonia está quemando. 
the Amazon is burning. We sing and dance in praise of the butterfly. Translucent blue gilded wings dances all its life. From orchid to cacao, saba to banana and fig, tying invisible strings that hold our home in the sky. It must, lest we drop into an abyss or drift where the gods will find us. This place where butterflies work for you and me, keep rivers full and flowing. Amapari, Canapantuba, and Feliz, the wide and deep goddess far beyond we call the sea. Rain, floods, and droughts, a mist or fog, the sun finds us each dawn after a journey home. When the moon comes to guide both the weary and the ready to pounce and hide, our hole is burning. Medicine fires blaze, moneyed whites rid the earth of the people, anacondas and spider monkeys, hawks and toucans, cicadas and cinnamon, glass frogs and vines, palm and rubber trees, tapirs and manatees. We hear their screams and all that dies silently. Amazonia is the Kemal. They want our abundant lands and to annihilate our mother's opulence. They will end the dance of the butterflies, and then what? We too will die, like in a story told by the ancestors that we only imagined. They come for our copper, gold, and ore. Ranchers and loggers raise the lands. At the United Nations, Bolsonaro announced, Go listen to what you hear on the news. Lies. Nothing is burning. Nothing has been set ablaze. We are Waipi. We keep the butterflies happy. They stay working to hold the planet in place. We are the guardians of our mother. Each day before I go to school, I smear the sweet juice of arukum seeds on my body and face. They are a protection from insects and evil spirits. I sit in a classroom with a thatched roof and other Waipi women. I am the only grandmother there. I am chief of my people. I will learn to read and speak to those who set fires and to the ones who may help save our home. On a personal level, I always tell people, enjoy. We have to learn to enjoy the use of the belongings we have and take care of them. So instead of replacing something, if the manufacturer tells, it, tells you we have a better, bigger, faster, safer, greener smartphone or car, we have to resist and say, no, I have a car or I have a smartphone. It fits my purpose. So you may have a better one, but the one I have is sufficient. And this is fighting against this marketing push from manufacturers, especially for young people, is a very tough fight. I think more and more we see an active participation in the environmental movement and different groups coming together, such as trade unions and green collectives, because they see that it's not this binary environment versus jobs. I mean, we've heard President Biden say, when I think climate change, I think jobs. They come together, and I think we're seeing that from the perspective of whether you're working in a trade union, whether you're working in an environment movement, whether you're working for racial justice, that we're all unified, actually 
actually in trying to create a better world together that reduces inequalities, that brings more justice for social justice, climate justice, and racial justice. And we're stronger together actually in highlighting how a neoliberal system has just been prioritizing wealth for a few. So I think you will continue to hear opponents or corporations try and get that narrative of jobs versus the environment, but it's just not the case anymore. They can come together and you're seeing much more work across movements to get those power shifts so that we can have a green and just future. So yes, all animals have language. Birds have amazing language. And you have to sometimes capture it and slow down the recording to find all the notes that they're using in between, like dolphin clicks that you can't hear with the human ear. The bowerbird goes out and collects anything shiny or pretty, just as we might decorate our homes, the way an octopus decorates their home with shells. The bowerbird brings back yellow flowers and red, even little plastic things that he finds. And he makes an entranceway that is so spectacular to his beautifully woven nest and makes a little walkway that's all decorated so as to say to a prospective partner, look, look what I've done. Come and admire my handiwork. And it is admirable. I couldn't do it, but they are very artistic. And when you see a bird or even a squirrel make a nest, you have to be absolutely stunned at the talent. I mean, if you look up in a tree, can you imagine going and finding a twig somewhere and putting that first twig in the crook of a tree up so high and then going and getting a second twig and trying to keep them from falling off the branch and then weaving all these other twigs in, in this intricate design, and then filling the bottom of the nest with moss, or sometimes birds and squirrels will pick up plastic to try to make it rainproof. They've learned what that is. Sometimes they'll take discarded cigarette butts and stick that between the twigs to repel insects. I mean, this is all so clever. It's so artistic. It's so talented. And it's almost impossible for a human being with fingers on both hands to figure out how we could do that ourselves. Yet they do it and they do it every year and they do it again if a storm knocks down their nest. We should be in awe and respect animals, absolutely. All of us, even if we grew up in the country, need to know more about the other living beings who share the earth with us because we are very bad sharers and we are so disrespectful. We have human supremacism. We just think we're the be-all end-all of the universe. The Creative Process and One Planet podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This podcast is created by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Max Richter's music featured in this episode was Path 19, Yet the Frailest, From Sleep, Spring 1, From the New Four Seasons, Vivaldi Recomposed, Lullaby from the West Coast Sleepers, From 24 Postcards in Full Color, and On the Nature of Daylight, From the Blue Notebooks. Music is courtesy of Max Richter, Universal Music Enterprises, and Mute Song. Associate producer on this episode was Sam Myers. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.